SAFM Sports Wrap. Good evening to you. Welcome to SAFM Sports Wrap. I'm Brad Brown. Coming up on tonight's show, we'll be chatting Super Rugby and looking back at this past weekend, which wasn't uh, the best of weekends as far as Super Rugby goes for a South African or from a South African perspective. We'll also be chatting uh, some cycling. We'll find out what's happening with Team Dimension data for Rebecca at uh, the Giro d'Italia. And we'll also look ahead uh, to this evening's action in the English Premiership uh, as two matters uh, on the Cards that could have a pretty important bearing on uh, the future or for or the season next year of two of the big teams. But let's start with football news. And the new Bafana Bafana coach Stuart Bax has implored Safa to organise at least one international friendly before his match, or his first match in charge of the national team, which is against Nigeria in a crucial Afghan qualifier next month. Safa CEO Dennis Mumble says uh, it is on the top of their priority list. But the coach has asked, uh, obviously, that we try and arrange something for him. We are we are working on that now to see because you can't expect him to go into such a crucial match without having a match of his own on the friendly level so we're looking to see what we can do uh, prior to the Nigeria match but uh, that would have to take place during the camp itself Ensuring that all the players at Stuart Bax's disposal, uh, disposal are available for selection, Mumble says that with European season ending soon, that shouldn't be a problem. As you know, our players come from, from outside, they come from within the league, and these interests you have to balance out. We can't just say, no, let us take the players earlier. We are going to look and see whether the, the, the clubs of our overseas-based players are releasing the players. I think there's one match left in most European seasons. And we'll see whether, when those players are finished, whether they will release them and, and whether we can have a camp with some of them. Um, but uh, that's something that the team management is taking up now. Two matches look forward to in England this evening. Arsenal up against Sunderland and Manchester City host West Brom. Stormers coach Robbie Fleck has more to worry about than a sixth straight loss when they take on the Blues in Cape Town this weekend. Fleck has the Blues when it comes to selecting a fly-off, though. His first three fly-half choices, Jean-Luc Duplessis, Robert Dupuy and Kurt Coleman are all currently injured, while Damien Willemse is away with the junior box. That leaves Fleck with Dylan Lates, who usually plays either on the wing or at fullback. Joe Peterson, who isn't contracted to the Stormers but has been training with them to stay fit for the Japanese season and Brandon Thompson who's been roped in from the Western Province side. Fleck has hinted though he's likely to hand the fly half jersey to Lates for this weekend's clash. Oh look it's not easy but um, you know at the end of the day you know he's been with us the longest he's been running the show you know while we're on tour you know he's he knows the patterns the best he knows our structures and our systems the best and uh and I'd say so does Joe. You know, Joe's been training with us for the last three, four months, so he's got a good understanding as well. Tomo, you know, as I say, he was over in Glasgow for a large part of this campaign, and uh, and he's played the last couple of games for Dobbo, so it's quite an easy sort of transition for him to come into the side as well. So. In other rugby news, Southern Kings flank Chris Kluter will miss this weekend's clash against the Brumbies. He's sustained a concussion in their win over the Sharks, while Bullslock Archeus Neyman's been suspended for four weeks after being found guilty of foul play during their clash against the Highlanders. Tim Agarba will miss this weekend's London 7th with a knee injury. Marco Lovaskachny's 7th Academy player has been roped in in his place. The first qualifier underway in the IPL. It is the Sunrisers uh, or the Mumbai Indians rather, up against the rising Pune Supergiant, and I can tell you that 
right now it is the rising Pune Super Giants who've just finished their first innings, 162 for 4 in 20. Mumbai Indians won without loss. Uh, that after the first over. In cycling news, Poland's Rafał Majka won the second stage of the Tour of California in the early hours of this morning ahead of George Bennett to move into the overall race lead while Tom Dumoulin took over the Giro leader's pink jersey after he claimed victory in stage 10 of the time trial ahead of Sky's Geraint Thomas. And speaking of the Giro, that's what we'll chat about next with Douglas Ryder. SAFM Sports Wrap. You're listening to SAFM, and uh, yeah, an interesting weekend it was at uh, the Giro d'Italia. It was uh, a rest day yesterday, but a massive, massive crash. Probably one of the biggest I've seen in the peloton uh, for many, many years, uh, and many of the teams suffering big losses uh, this past weekend. We're joined now by team principal of uh, Team Dimension Data for Quebec, Douglas Ryder. Doug, welcome on to SAFM Sports Wrap once again. Nice to touch base. I haven't spoken to you since the start of uh, the Giro. As far as the team goes, are uh, you satisfied with the way things are, are progressing so far? Yeah, thanks. You know, we've had an amazing year at Italia. We started pretty much guns blazing and wanting to, you know, maximize every opportunity, you know, that we could do something in the race and trying to get a leader's jersey and, and go for stage wins. And we had multiple, multiple top tens. And we've got the young sprinting team there, you know, Ryan Gibbons, the little South African star that came to our feeder team, you know, has been in the top ten numerous times. Is, only at 22 years of age in his first Grand Tour, and in the Giro as your first Grand Tour is a pretty, pretty tough call, um, and uh, and he's riding so so well. So that was amazing. So we had a great start, and you know, just in the first five days of the Giro d'Italia, we we were better than we did in the whole of the Giro last year. So it's always tough when you're doing three Grand Tours a year. You know, last year was our first year in the World Tour, and our first time doing three Grand Tours, and we really felt it in terms of the depth and quality and, and, and the toughness of, of doing that in, in one single season when you've never done it before. And so I think, you know, that made us stronger for this year and we've, and we've done really, really well so far. So still hoping for that elusive stage win in the Jira, but, um, you know, the guys are on it and uh, there's, a, there's a few more opportunities still to come for us. Yeah, absolutely. Doug, I mentioned the big crash on the weekend. I mean, we spoke about it a while ago with uh, sort of the vehicles as part of the, the motorcade, essentially, that tra- travels along with, with these sort of races. I mean, that, that crash with the, the, the stationary moto pretty much, I don't want to say, on the side of the road and, and the peloton just absolutely barreling into the back of it. Uh, it's, it's sad scenes. Any, any sort of losses from a, from a dimension data perspective and just as an overall, those sort of incidents, not good for the sport? No, absolutely. I mean, there's, you know, the, the Grand Tours and the major races have tried to reduce the bikes and cars in the convoy and the peloton to try and make it safer because as the roads and the towns get more busy and they put more traffic furniture to islands and speed bumps to slow traffic down just because of the growth of, you know, the population, I guess. So, that, you know, so there's always so many things going on in a bike race and you get 200 riders going down these narrow roads at 50k an hour, you know, any, Anything that's in the way is a hazard, and uh, you know I don't know why that motorbike stopped on the side of the road. I mean, it's, you know, it's not it's not supposed to be like that. And then also on a kind of slightly bent right-hand corner where the guys, you know, just didn't really see it, and um, and it was super bad. It happened obviously right at the front of the bunch, took out literally Team Sky's chances. And they're still fighting because Grant Thomas had a really good time trial today, so he's now lying in his eleventh overall. But you know, he lost. You know, four and a bit minutes or five minutes in, in the crash and, and took a lot of skin off and it, it ruined a lot of riders' chances and it's just another unnecessary evil in the sport that, um, you know, that I guess the riders need to be more respected. So it's, it's, it is really sad. We had not now crash, um, 
you know, so that you know that was that affected us. And he was our best rider on Montenegro classification. That's Nabahani. Igor Anton, our Spanish rider, was also caught behind. And sometimes that effort to get back, you know, is, is the effort that you have to do a result. And uh, and then literally when the racing happened and Nairo Quintana and Nibali and those guys attacked and rode hard, then you know the guys just rode their tempo to the finish and didn't have it. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it is what it is, but, you know, the sport needs to do a lot more than it is currently to, in the education of the, of the people that are driving and riding motorbikes and cars and the peloton, unfortunately. There was a lot of talk on social media about the peloton that it should have been, or the race should have been neutralized after that crash. Your thoughts on, on that? Did the, the sort of race commission on that do, do the right thing? Well, you know, there's kind of like, you know, the etiquette of cycling that when something like that happens and it wasn't, for anyone's fault, that potentially the race leaders would, would you know, ride at a, at a consistent tempo, I guess, at average tempo to try and bring the guy back and, and give him a chance to get back. Uh, and then, you know, once the race is going, he suffered so hard and that took a lot of, a lot of pain. And, you know, on social media by other teams, especially Erica Greenwich, who, you know, Adam Yates lost a lot of time and, and also to pick himself off the floor and they were saying that it was absolutely rubbish that a that they kept driving the tempo and um, and didn't actually wait five or so minutes, you know, it slowed down for the guys to come back. So, you know, the commissaires and the race, all, you know, the race officials didn't do anything. They didn't neutralize the race. It very rarely happens um, that, that, that something like that happens because then if a guy crashes and on his own accord, you know, and it's serious, like it happened actually in Tour of California yesterday too, your rider crashed in the front. You know, what do you do? That's kind of like how wide is that spectrum in terms of what should be done and what shouldn't be done. But I do believe that Movistar should have actually neutralized the race themselves and and, uh, and got and let the guys get back because it was, it was to no fault of anybody. And in fact, maybe Movistar saw the car with the, the motorbike on the side of the road. They should have actually warned the total peloton because they were leaving it at that time and riding on the front. It's, and they and you could see there was no hand signals and nobody did that. You know, but I don't know. It's, if I was them, I would have waited. It would have been the right thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Doug, you mentioned three grand tours in, in one year. You, you're doing three teams in three races uh, pretty much at the moment. You've got a team at the Giro. You've got a team at the Tour of California. And the Tour of Norway starts tomorrow. You, you like going big, don't you? Yeah, no, look, it's, um, when we run a triple program, like now, this month, it literally almost brings us to our knees. We, from an infrastructure point of view, because every single team has staff, you know, um, vehicles, infrastructure, Everything. So, I mean, racing in California is, is, a, is a big deal. It's a big race for us. It's, a, it's, a, it's an important race for, for Dimension Data and their business in America and, of course, for Deloitte as well. So, very important race for us. And then um, it's also part of the World Tour now, so it's kind of a compulsory event to do. And then Tour of Norway, we've got massive following in Norway because of Edvard Bosenhagen. So, that's a big race for him and it's something that he's passionate about racing in his home country. So, then kind of doing that is, is really tough on us. And, uh, but, I mean, it's it's amazing to see the workload of a team, you know, like ours. Most people, you know, think that we just prepare and race and train for a Tour de France, and and it is what it is. It's three weeks of the year, but you know, we do race about 250 race days a year, and uh, there are not many sports teams that play 250 matches in a season. So it's uh, it's pretty incredible what you know the workload of the guys and, and, and the amount of racing that we do do. Absolutely. Well, Doug, thanks for your time this evening. I know things are quite hectic. I appreciate you taking the time out. You're heading back to Italy for the, the final week of the Giro. Please pass down our best to the team uh, across all three of the races. We'll be following closely. Thanks for your, for your time tonight. Yeah, thank you very much and good luck to you.
Sports Wrap. This is South Africa's news and information leader. I'm Brad Brown, and uh, as you heard in my bulletin on PM Live this afternoon, a couple of injury concerns and suspensions uh, as far as Super Rugby goes. And uh, before we chat about the teams involved, let's talk about, and I don't want to call them the highlight of the weekend, uh, because it wasn't the best of performances, but at the end of the day, a win is a win, and the Lions picking up uh, full points in uh, Australia uh, on their tour, the first time they've won all three of their tour games, beating the Brumbies this past weekend, and like I said, the first half was nothing to write home about, neither was the second half, but at least the Lions uh, showed some character and picked up the win. We're joined now by rugby pundit Johan Ferreira. Johan, welcome on to SAFA. I'm a bit concerned that we're talking about the Lions uh, from a, from an international South African perspective as the highlights of the weekend. It was uh, a win's a win, but it wasn't pretty. Yeah, most definitely. Hello, Brad. Nice to talk to you again. I think they've just shown that they're, they're a real quality side. And uh, looking at social media, a lot of people come out and, uh, and they say, yeah, but remember it's against the Aussie teams. Just a reminder, they did it against the New Zealand teams as well last year. So the consistency they've been... A, a very good side, a, a two-year cycle, and the irony is that they could have been, they could have had a perfect record, and that game against the Jaguares might cost them again in the final analysis. So let's hope it, it's not the case, but uh, they need the Crusaders to slip up for for them to have a chance, and uh, the Crusaders might slip up somewhere along the line. I'm hoping it's this weekend against the Chiefs. But uh, but yeah, they're playing good rugby, and it's like you said, it's not it's not how you win. At least you win, and uh, and yes, they they can come back with a lot of confidence and look ahead at the rest of their campaign, and, and they're going to be serious contenders for that title. Yuan, with all due respect, you mentioned their season last year and how they performed against the Kiwi sides. My big concern is that they almost getting lulled into this false sense of security, as did the Stormers last season, where the Stormers performed really well against the Australian sides, got into the playoffs, uh, and were absolutely blown away by the, the New Zealanders. And, and it, it is a big step up playing against the, the best Australia's got to offer to the best that New Zealand's got to offer. Yeah, you know what, you make an, an excellent point, and, and that is true. There's no doubt that it's going to probably cost the, the teams playing against the Australian Conference because the standard is just not the same. You cannot argue that, that I mean, there's no doubt that the New Zealand Conference is the strongest by far, by some miles. And the Lions will get, definitely get to the, the playoffs, but now, unfortunately, you're going to probably play a New Zealand team uh, somewhere along the line, and uh, you're going to be you're going to be tested in a whole new at a whole new level. So that's going to make it very tough. Um, you, all, you you get lured into a, a false sense of security. That at least they'll know. They've been there before. They they know what to expect. They played in a final last year. They played away from home. Uh, they'll know what, what's coming, and they've got the exact same team. Um, that that beauty last year, so I think they'll be up for it. But uh, it's going to be a, a whole new ball game. For now, I think they just want to get as high as possible. And if there is a possible home final this time, at least it would be in Johannesburg, and not in Wellington or in Christchurch. So yeah, yeah it's something to look forward to. Absolutely. Well, the, the game before that on Friday, the Cheetahs uh, having another 50 points put past them by the Blues. And we'll chat about the Blues in a moment because they take on the Stormers this weekend in Cape Town. And the Stormers are coming off a, a longish run of, of poor performances. But let's touch on the Bulls' performance uh, on the weekend against uh, the Highlanders, Johan. 17-10 to the Highlanders. Uh, I think that the scoreline, the, the Bulls could have dodged a bullet there. They had an opportunity. I mean, the, the Highlanders were, were down to 14 men and then 
poor discipline costing the Bulls. They also lost a man uh, with with a red card, and rightly so. I mean, both those incidents uh, we don't want to see in the game. And and the Bulls, I don't know, there's just something going on in, in Pretoria. Well, you, you, you've summed it up beautifully. I, I think the fact that they've now uh, put out the flag and the SOS call to, for, for help um, just identifies that there's a big problem. There's, there's serious problems in Pretoria. They, when, they, when they do level and they really had a, a, an opportunity, I felt that the momentum had swung enough for the Bulls to actually get a win under the belt, and that would have been very important for their campaign. And just a moment of madness, clear ball, front football, Five meters from the try line, you know you don't you don't do that. You have the advantage with you, and you come straight in from the side onto the head, and boom, four week ban. Thank you very much. So as you say, on that, unfortunately, you have to pinpoint that incident as a turning point in the game. The Islanders capitalised, and at the end of the day, that's what New Zealand teams do. They can hurt you with 14, 13 on the field, and they did that again. So unfortunately, still tough times for the Bulls, but. Um, this is one that got away from them. They, they really crippled off a victory. The, the, yeah, the weather didn't help. It wasn't as a, a spectacle. One that we will want to forget quickly. Um, unfortunately, the, yeah, for the Bulls, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll look back at the season as one to forget. Yeah, and let's touch on the Sharks Kings game. You know, and I, I sort of thought that would be a fantastic game. It, it was in the end. Uh, the Kings victorious. That's three in, in a row now that the Kings have won. Uh, a team who it hasn't been decided yet, but is probably not going to be in Super Rugby next year. And, and they're just showing that they've got nothing to lose. They're playing some, some great rugby. The Sharks, again, I mean, the, on paper, the Sharks should be absolutely hammering a team like the Kings, and, and they just couldn't win it. But to me, you look at life in general and you look at South Africa as a country and, and what we've gone through in the last so many years, it shows it's almost a, exactly a replica of what the Lions did with Johan Ackerman. And, and excuse me for saying this, and I don't mean this in, in a bad way, but not the biggest names, but if you get the right people together, there's a life lesson here. You can have whoever you want. You can have all the stars in the world, but if they don't want to perform together and they don't share the same vision, it's not going to happen. When you put guys on a field that's playing for passion, they've got hunger. I listened to Lionel Cronier talk overseas in his post-match presentation, and there's something happening there. He's a great leader. He definitely inspires you when he talks, and they've got a point to prove. And I think with the cutting, the, the cutting of the teams, that's a reality that we can't get away from. But I think they got together as a unit and they said, right, let's make it as tough as possible for Saru and the decision makers to cut us. But the only way we're going to do that is by playing attractive, entertaining rugby that's A, going to bring the people because people bums on seats or equal money in the, in, in the pockets. And it's going to be very difficult to, to get rid of a team that is suddenly doing all the right things. And that decision has not been made and, and a lot of media speculation about the Kings and the Cheetahs. But I credit to them. The way they played, the character that they've shown, the, the no-name brands that they've turned into potential Springboks, with the fact that four of those players have been called up for uh, a Springbok squad uh, 21 to 23 May, including uh, Lionel Premier himself, I think it's exciting. I, I, I love the way they play. Um, I love the fact that there were actually people in Port Elizabeth that came out to support what the Kings have done, and good on them. And I think the tougher they make it, the better. That, that's what we want. And if that's what they're going to produce, then go all the way. Johan Ackermann did it, and now the Kings are, are following. Hopefully they've done enough. I don't know. If they haven't done enough, hopefully there's opportunity for those players to still fit in somewhere because we can't lose what these guys have achieved in the last four or five weeks.
Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, we are out of time. I wanted to touch on the Stormers. They had a bye this last weekend, and they've got a big clash at home against the Blues uh, at Newlands. Uh, they're coming off a, a string of losses. Let's hope that Robbie Fleck and his team can turn it around. They are really, really thin when it comes to fly-off. I think uh, their first four choices are either injured or, or with a junior box. So, yeah, it looks like Dylan Late's going to be playing at number 10 uh, for the Stormers <laughs> this weekend. Johan, thank you very much uh, for your time this afternoon. Much appreciated. We look forward to catching up against you. The future of South Africa rests firmly on the shoulders of workers. It rests on your shoulders. SAFM, we're proud to be a nation built by the hands of workers. Don't miss out on your chance to engage with some of the world's brightest business minds at the inaugural Africa Shared Value Summit taking place the 25th to the 26th of May at the Santon Convention Centre. Proudly sponsored by ABSA, Nando's, Enel, Nestle and Shift Social Development. You could win two summit tickets to the value of 6,000 Rand by answering this simple question. When is the Africa Shared Value Summit? SMS your name and your answer to 33647. Standard SMS rates apply and T's and C's apply too. On planting the seeds here on South Africa's news and information leader. Let's come back to now the aquaponics unit launch. Uh, why was this important that this coincides with National Water Week celebrations? It's very important, Afanda, because we all know that in South Africa, in fact, all over the world, we are beginning to see the impact of climate change. Uh, which is something that is real. It's not only something that we can read about it. We are able to see the effects of climate change. And unfortunately, in our context, we see that mostly with regards to the scarcity of rain. Unati Sisasa is Program Director for the Health in Action South Africa Program. Tune in 5 a.m. weekdays with me, Asanda Matsawinyani. This is Sport on SAFM, every supporter's greatest resource. You're listening to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. And as the APSA Premiership uh, title race uh, is, uh, I don't want to say far from over, because there's only a couple of games left, but uh, still yet to be decided, things pretty much done and dusted uh, in England in the Premiership. Uh, top spot decided, uh, although there is a bit to play for uh, towards the top half of the table. And we join now uh, by blogger from leftbacks.co.za, Bruce Dan. Bruce, welcome on to uh, SAFM Sport Trap this evening. Thanks for, for your time. Hey Brad, good to be here, thanks. Well Bruce, uh, as far as the title goes, Chelsea deserved winners, I feel. They've had a, a fantastic season and uh, a thriller of a game last night. 4-3 over Watford for the champions. Uh, I don't want to say they're suffering from a bit of a hangover, but uh, they, they can be forgiven for, for, for possibly not arriving with the best game. But it was, a, it was a, an interesting game of football, wasn't it? For sure, it was uh, highly entertaining. And uh, in fairness, it was the Chelsea B team. Uh, it was only, I think, Aspilicueta and... Hazard that kept their places from the previous game. So it actually shows that even their B team can uh, can put four goals past the Premier League side. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're, they're an incredible, incredible team. And I think uh, special mention has to go to the coach. Uh, he's done he's done amazing things with that uh, with that team this, uh, this season. Conte has been brilliant. Um, I mean, I think in the first six weeks they lost, they lost two games and they drew to Swansea. And he had no fear in going to uh, three defenders at the back, changing it up. And I think after going that three at the back, I think they won 13 in a row. So, I mean, he's been brilliant, but he has also had, he's had superb players. In your mind, coach of the season? Uh, yeah, I, I can't see anybody better. Um, 
Why not? And I think uh, N'Golo Kante has got to be player of the season too. He's just a machine at the holding midfielder role. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about tonight's games because there's a, a lot to play for for both Manchester City and Arsenal this evening. Although for Arsenal, the fate's not directly in their hands. Uh, but uh, both those matches, uh, Man City uh, hosting West Brom and Arsenal hosting Sunderland, should be should be two interesting matches. Yeah, they should be. Um, and Arsenal in that fourth place, they just won't go away. They always just want to finish in fourth. But uh, like you said, it's out of their hand. Um, Liverpool have got a fairly easy game. They got Middlesbrough in the last game of the season. And if they win that, they, they're in the Champions League space. But we know how Liverpool plays against top four, uh, against bottom sides. They uh, hardly ever win. So it could be entertaining. Um, and Arsenal, they've just got to win. They've just got to win both games. As, as far as Liverpool, you, you mentioned them, that's been their downfall this season, hasn't it? They've performed really well against the, the sort of title contenders, but it's uh, the ones where you would think they just need to arrive to win, that they would win, and that hasn't been the case. They almost went into those fixtures thinking they just need a pitch up. Exactly that. And, I mean, it's been like that for years for Liverpool now. It's always They can beat any of the top four, top six sides. When it comes to the bottom side, I have no idea what goes on, but they don't often do well. And I think the only reason that they're in this top four battle is for the, uh, the way they started the season. They started brilliantly, scoring plenty goals. People were thinking they could win the league. And they kind of just died off when the start of the year came around. They, uh, yeah, so I think, I don't know if they deserve the top four place, but it would be nice to see uh, someone new. And it would also be nice to see Arsenal maybe fall out of the top four for a change. I think it's been 17 years or something like that in a row. You know, let's give somebody else a chance uh because they can't get past the last 32 in the Champions League anyway. <laughs> as, as, as always the case, so close, but yet so far. A, a team who's, who's also, I don't want to say, they probably haven't been in that position as, as often as Liverpool have, are Spurs. Uh, another great season from Spurs, but just not good enough once again. Yeah, it's been brilliant. I mean, I'm a Spurs supporter myself, and it's been great to watch. Um, you know, their home form has been something so special, and now with it being demolished, I think they gave it a perfect send-off. Um, I mean, they had 19 games at home, 17 wins and two draws. I mean, they didn't lose. It was an absolute fortress this season. And uh, they've just been playing such entertaining football. I mean, Kane, Ali, Son, Eriksson, all of them have just been given a license to go score as many goals as they want. And they've only conceded just over 20 goals uh, the whole season. And it's been so, so good to watch. So... Maybe they can go a step further next season and try win it. Yeah, I mean, you look at that uh, goals against uh, stats from from all the teams uh, within the, pretty much the top eight. I mean, uh, Tottenham Hotspur are head and shoulders above everyone else. A fantastic defensive record. Let's talk about the bottom three. Uh, obviously, a team coming back into the Premiership next season. Newcastle United, great to see them uh, back in top flight football. But uh, not great news for, for Sunderland, Middlesbrough, Hull City. No, they, they haven't been good all season. Um you know, Middlesbrough, everyone thought they might have a chance. They made a few good signings uh, at the start of the season. But, I mean, all three of those sides, they just leaked too many goals. Hull got, a, Hull got their new manager too late in the season. He did okay when he came in. But, I mean, the only other team that could have potentially gone down was Swansea. And, uh, yeah, they came right towards the end of the season. So, 
I think the the three worst teams, if you want to put it that way, have gone down. So I don't think there's any surprises there. Biggest disappointment for you? For me, it's it's probably a toss-up between Leicester City after the, the season they had last year. And again, it was the first half of the season. Uh, and, and there's been lots of talk about it with regards to, to the sort of players not bringing their part and, and then the coach getting sacked and them turning their season around after that. And and Manchester yeah. United, obviously lots, lots expected with Jose Mourinho at the helm. Those two will probably be my two biggest disappointments as a as a neutral when it comes to English football this season. Mm, mm. It's difficult to uh, disagree with that. Leicester. I mean, I remember last time I was on, you and I chatted about the, the Leicester's players' revolt that they just went against Ranieri and how disgusting it was. Um, and Manchester United, they just draw too many games. I don't know. At the start of the season, they got Pogba and they got Ibrahimovic and they got all these players, and we thought you know, there's a lot of people, me included, thought that they would win the league. And, I mean, a lot of games they should have won, they ended up drawing, and they just too many occasions dropped two points when they should have, uh, they got one point out of it when they should have got three. And uh, I think towards the end of the season now, Mourinho's given up on the league, he's playing weaker sides, and he's hopefully just going to go try and win the Europa League and get into the Champions League. That's by that route. <laughs> if that's the only way to do it, I guess that's the only way to do it. But, uh, yeah. Exactly. Uh, I mean, you look at you look at the stats of the season, uh, and, and Chelsea and United have lost the same amount of games uh, this season, but like you say, it's the draws that have come back to bite uh, Jose Mourinho's uh, Red Devils. So, uh, it's going to be yep. interesting to see the, the last couple of games uh, in the season, particularly tonight. I think tonight's game should be fascinating to watch, as always. Bruce, thanks for joining us this evening. If you want to find out more about Bruce Dunn, leftbacks.co.za is the website to get to. Look forward to catching up again soon. Take Okay, mate. Thanks so much, Brad. See you. SAFM Sports Wrap. And that's about it for SAFM Sports Wrap this evening. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget, if you have any feedback, comments, suggestions, questions, the email to get hold of us on is sport at safm.co.za. You can also reach out via social media. Just search for SAFM Radio, or you can touch base with me personally. I'm at Big Brad Brown across uh, all the various platforms. We're back again tomorrow evening with another edition of SAFM Sports Wrap. Thank you very much to my producer, who's back from a well-deserved break. Siobhan, thank you for your input th- this evening. Uh, coming up on the other side, of 7 o'clock. It is the talk shop with Naledi Maleo and lots uh, to get through tonight as well. Make sure you stay tuned. More sport for you tomorrow morning on AM Live with Janet Whitten. Right now though, it is 7 o'clock and Greg Coase has your news.